Hi, I'm Janet Deneef, founder and director of the Ubud Writers and Readers Festival. You're about to hear one of the highlight sessions of Kumbali 2020, a Rebuild Bali Festival, our digital event which featured 134 artists, authors, chefs, activists and changemakers from more than 15 countries. Kumbali 2020 was aimed to inspire, excite and revitalise Bali and our arts community. So please settle in and let the magic of our festival continue. Hi everyone, welcome to Kamali 2020, a Rebuild Bali Festival. A digital program designed to inspire, excite, reconnect and revitalize the Balinese and Indonesian community from 29th October to the 8th of November of 2020, obviously. Uh, Kamali, the Indonesian word for return or comeback, represents revitalization in the face of global challenges. The festival will unite people in Bali and Indonesia together with an international audience at a time when travel is largely impossible and creating connections is more important than ever before. So I'm um, just very pleased to welcome everyone to this session, uh, which will be about uh, the wandering or in Indonesian, uh, Bayangan, um, a choose your own adventure novel by the Indonesian author um, Intan Paramedita. And um, yeah, Really excited because um, I have been a long-time fan of this novel um, when it first came out in 2018 uh, and was actually launched at uh, the Ubud Writers and Readers Festival. And um, even now, when it's uh, just newly been, uh, recently been translated into English uh, by Stephen Epstein and published in the UK by um, Harville Secker and um, in Australia by Penguin. So, um, hi, Intan. <laughs> Hi, um, it's so it's so wonderful to see you. I mean, yeah, I'm, you you are the first reviewer of the Wondering. Right? Remember yeah. that of Guntayangan? Yeah. yeah, you published yeah. that review in the Jakarta Post, and it's it's just such a, an honor to be here with you, um, since I am also an admirer of your uh, work, your as an author and translator. Oh, okay, okay. Mutual admiration. <laughs> Yay. Um, but yeah, so uh, for those who are not, uh, uh, let me uh, introduce um, Intan a bit more. Intan Paramedita is an Indonesian author and a lecturer in media and film studies uh, at Macquarie University in Sydney. So actually, we're both doing this from the same city, funnily enough. Um, she received her PhD uh, from New York University in 2014, and both her fiction and academic works explore the intersections between gender and sexuality, culture and politics. Um, and that, um, yes, uh, right, includes her fiction. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, her works of fiction include the short story collection Sihir Perempuan and the collection um, Kumpulan Budak Setan, which she co-authored with uh, Uguran Prasad and Eka Kurniawan. And her stories from these works were translated into English by Stephen uh, J. Epstein and published in 2018 in English as Apple and Knife. Her debut novel, which we'll be discussing today, Lim Tayangan, was published oh, in 2017 and was awarded a Penn Translates and Penn Heim grant to be translated into English uh, also by Stephen Epstein as uh, The Wandering. And um, just a little bit about The Wandering or Lim Tayangan. Uh, the Guardian has called it an ingenious choose-your-own-adventure challenge, at least five books in one. Um, and The Wandering is at its core, beneath and because of all the narrative twists and turns it offers, a novel about global nomadism, the politics and privileges of travel and desire, and the freedoms and limitations of the choices we make or are forced to make or can't make. Um, so what happens is you, the reader, start out bored and stuck in Jakarta and you make a pact with your lover, the devil, so you can go see the world. And he gives you a pair of um, Wizard of Oz type ruby red slippers and off you go to New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Berlin, Amsterdam, Tijuana, just to name um, some of the places where you meet characters from all over the world too. Lebanon and India, the Philippines and Vietnam, Belgium, Peru, the list goes on and on. But The Wandering doesn't glamorize cosmopolitanism, it critiques it. Um, and besides the professors, journalists, and expatriates in the novel who trot the globe freely, there are refugees, illegal immigrants, and impoverished students who find that border crossing comes with strings attached, uh, homesickness, solitude, 
poverty, vulnerability, uh, the threat of deportation, or the opposite, um, being stranded, um, as we're also finding out here in this COVID era. Um, so just to kick off, I'd uh, love for Imban to um, maybe uh, give us a taste of the novel um, and read a, a passage from, from it um, of her own choosing. Okay, thank you so much, Tiv, and uh, thank you to Ubud Writers uh, and Readers Festival team um, who are here with us today. Um, so I'm going to read an excerpt from The Wandering. Um, so here's the book, and uh, this is the part um, after... Okay, so the um, you, the reader... Uh, is put in the position of uh, this third world woman from Jakarta uh, who bargains with the devil to escape her dull life. So this is about the story about her. Um, she lives in a rented room and she survives uh, as an English language teacher, even though she hasn't been to an English speaking country and she wants to escape her mediocre life, but she's too poor to go abroad and she um, her attempt to get a scholarship fails. Um, so she prays for the devil to come and change her life. And, and so she does. Oh, he does. Um, so this is the part after the devil visits her in her rented room and they become lover. Um, Every night from then on, you hope and pray for this devil to slip into your rented room, eager to know the magic of his charm. His adulation makes him a formidable lover. You are famished and nibble at him like a rat gnaws on bread. You're not sure if he's some random shaitan or the great Iblis himself, but you have a demon to call your own. What pet name shall you bestow upon him? Devil dearest, Bill's the baby, you settle on demon lover. He courts you like a suitor from days gone by, regaling you with roses and chocolates. Not the most useful gifts, you think, but sweet, because you're addicted to the lovemaking. Being as ancient as he is, he has many tales to tell. You've heard most of his stories, but his but still, he beats his chest proudly when you ask about everything from the slaying of Abel to his involvement in the First and Second World Wars. When it comes to the temptation of Joseph by Potiphar's wife, however, he denies involvement. Sorry, he objects, but women have been demons since the dawn of time. You fuck him like crazy, but soon tire of his presence. Before a month passes, you discard the drawerful of dried roses and complain that his chocolates are making fat. Demon lover prefers a curvy, voluptuous body, but you don't care. You want a more substantial display of his devotion. Are you really going to grant whatever I desire? Demon lover nods, then returns to lavishing kisses upon your feet. Okay, you decide. My sole wish is to get the hell away from here. I want adventure. Give me money, visas, and a one-way ticket. I don't want to come back. With a vaguely condescending smirk, he shakes his head. What's the problem, you ask? Your wish is too specific. Ask for something more abstract, like success or happiness. Sorry, I can't. You and I might interpret them differently. You pull your feet away. Reclining on the bed, you take a slender volume from the bedside table and use it to fan yourself. Screwing in the tropics requires negotiation with heat and humidity. You grumble to him. I'm bored. Demon lover flashes a knowing smile. I realized that from the start. That's how women are, from Madame Bovary to Palupi. Palupi? Yes, a remarkable character from a famous film, an Indonesian classic from the 60s. Why was she bored? She married a poor author with in integrity. Ah, uh, that would have bored her senseless, all right. 
You study your neatly trimmed toenails. You've already done everything there is to do. Cut your nails, have sex, fend yourself. You're a little different. Alupi didn't have her very own devil. Thank you. Oh, yay. Um, sorry, just hearing you read it made me reminded me how much um, I like the novel. I really like the novel. Everyone should buy the novel. Um, so anyway, okay. Uh, so one of the things I um, find most striking about the novel is um, how it's such an ingenious union of content and form. So the choose-your-own-adventure uh, format is perfect for the tale, or rather multiple tales you want to tell. Um, about the individual's freedom or lack of freedom to travel and uh, determine her own destiny. Uh, how did you come up with both the narrative premise and the structure of the novel? And what were the greatest difficulties you encountered craft-wise in terms of um, executing your writerly vision? Mm, yeah, um, I really like the idea of um, uh, choose your own adventure uh, books because I read I read this, these books when I was a child and I thought maybe sometime in my or my twenties um, after I published my short story collection uh, Sihir Perempuan I thought about um, writing a choose your own adventure book but at that time it was just you know it was just for the style and not for the um for the theme or so it, it's it, it wasn't conceptual so i just discarded the idea because it, it it felt so gimmicky like um it was all about the form um so i uh abandoned the idea for a while and then um a few years later maybe sometime around 2008 i thought about um writing a story um of travel uh, because at that time I was a, a traveler. I uh, was doing my uh, PhD in New York and then I went back to Indonesia. Um, I asked questions about the idea of home and away and it all felt so confusing. Um, like where is home? And um, oh, okay, maybe Jakarta is, uh, is my hometown. But it, at that time when I went back in 2008, for some reason, it didn't feel like home. And then I went back to New York. I didn't think that New York was my home either. So it was this idea of being in between uh, the that feeling of not uh, belonging to any place. Um, and, and I thought that this was something that a lot of people experience. Uh, a lot of travelers, um, maybe international students, migrant workers, I'm sure they, they, they feel the same thing, like being in two places at the same time, but at the same time you are, you are not here nor there. Um, so I thought um, I wanted to write something about travel. And um, I went back to the idea of um, the choose your own adventure story. And I thought that it was appropriate for, for the theme um, because um, when you travel, you often ask yourself, what if I had chosen this way and not the other way, right? Um, so it's... Uh, um, I feel like it's the the concept of the choose your own adventure concept just um, uh, fits the the whole questions around um, travel and regrets and and just the idea of having uh, of making decisions and um, uh, uh, and the limitation of choices. I also like the idea of having. Uh, multiple selves because that's what uh, choose your own adventure structure allows us um, um, to be I mean to be in different places um, through uh, different paths right so um, there are 15 different uh, plots in the book and in each in each plot you live your life as um, a particular person um, you make choices that uh, there are different from the choices that you make in the other path. So I like having this idea of um, multiple selves, parallel structure, and then somehow um, there are similarities uh, between these uh, plots, and some and the plots can can interweave. Um, yeah, I like playing around with with structure, and at the same time, 
um, telling this, uh, asking a lot of questions about uh, mobility, um, uh, about self in the globalized world, how we are really experiencing ourselves as fractured, um, being in different uh, places um, at the same time. Um, the difficult, oh yeah, the difficulties. I think uh, what's really difficult about um, writing it is just to to keep myself on track because, well, there are different storylines and um, how do I keep um, the consistency of, of the plot? So that's, that's really, uh, that was one of the biggest challenges. Um, so I started with a big map um, and then on the map, I drew different paths and different consequences. Um, I forgot where my map is, but yeah, it's, it's rather big. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Um, and then uh, as I wrote the individual storyline, the map actually changes a little bit. I, I forgot if I ever made a, a final map. I think a lot of readers on um you know, on social media, they, they, I think they, they drew their own maps and they showed their, their maps and they are actually better than my own map. Um, yeah, so the map was helpful, but still it's, it's quite, um, tricky because you deal with different storylines, different characters, and you have to maintain the consistency. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, technically that sounds, um, I'm, you know, you'd have to be, yeah, it, it sounds, it's such a technically um, difficult thing to execute, but you've, you know, you've done it so well. So, um, yeah, super impressed. I didn't know that there was a map involved. Um, so, you know, just related to what you were saying just now about multiple cells and, um, right, so, yes, yeah, like, it's really cool that the character uh, goes and, you know, evolves and changes depending on what plot line you choose. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, right, um, what, what interests me is that the reader, um, the you, is forced to adopt a very specific identity, actually, which is, you know, as you said, um, like, a, 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 like a single woman from uh, Jakarta who, like, you know, is from a, a background that's poor enough that she can't uh, just travel when, when she wants to. Right. Um, so what potential did you feel um, that there is in this role play for challenging or subverting readers' expectations or views, depending on... I mean, of course, who the reader is, because that might also change depending on the reader, right? Whether they're also someone from Indonesia or from, like, now that it's translated, you know, they might be, um, like, you know, an old white guy or, you know, um, what, what does it mean to write then um, have them adopt this particular identity? Um, I guess the idea was to have a protagonist who is a brown woman <laughs> that was the initial idea because I, I was at that time I was quite tired of um, seeing uh, travelers yeah uh, in, in travel stories whether they are travel memoirs or or travel films uh, or anything that involves uh, travel the idea of travel and, and journey um, I think what we see, um, often is that um, there's this uh, white male character discovering something in the third world, and then and that changes um, his perception about something like the uh, heart of darkness. Or it can be the white woman um, traveling, but often if it's the white woman, it's um, the popular narrative tends to um, sort of um, associate that travel with consumption, with the idea that um, you can have fun, travel the world as long as you have the buying power. <laughs> Just like um, my classic example is um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love, uh, which is you know, one of the plots <laughs> involved um, uh, uh, some scenes in Bali where she encounters this Balinese woman and she, and suddenly I see that, you know, white woman saving <laughs> brown woman narrative. Um, yeah. Uh, or now recently we have this new Netflix series, um, Emily in Paris, uh, and she's also a traveler, right? She's a very uh, privileged um, um, character, but, and it seems that, and she's so beautiful, she's wealthy, she's successful, and it seems that this kind of um, character, even though a lot of people 
um, have uh, critiqued this kind of, uh, you, you would say, neoliberal, neoliberal feminist uh, prototype. Um, I think... Uh, there's some kind of persistence in showing this character. I think people do want to see um, um, uh, successful women going to exotic places. So I, th I think I really want to see a character who is brown and who doesn't have enough money to begin with. And therefore, when she travels, even though probably she has this idea of, um, you know... Uh, maybe some kind of Cinderella dream that Cinderella dream won't come true and instead of uh, going through parties and palaces she'll encounter uh, borders and, and walls uh, because of her class and, and gender and, and skin color so I like having this um, third world woman as, as a hero basically uh, and to to actually put, um, well, when I started writing, I didn't expect that this would be translated. But now um, I think it's great that, you know, a, a, a white man <laughs> reading The Wandering and he has to place himself in the in the shoes of this third world woman. I think that's that's quite fun. And and yet to be able to see um, uh, how travel is, is is a privilege for so many people but not to um, um, our protagonist uh, so even though she has the red shoes uh, the devil's uh, shoes to travel um, still when she gets to her destination she is she cannot participate in the city like um, other people other residents of the city she doesn't have any friends she doesn't have any social network she doesn't have um social capital she can't get a decent job um or her qualification um um is is it, it just doesn't work in in the new place right um yeah so uh, i guess by by having uh, by putting the reader in the shoes of the third world woman. Um, it, I think it's it's a it's an interesting experiment. So you you know what happens to many of us from the third world when we travel. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Sure. Genius. Uh, I, yeah. I just uh, love it, and um, I love you know how yeah even though that wasn't maybe um, like it's come out more because because of the English translation um, and its availability um, now to um, maybe perhaps more of an eat, pray, love kind of audience, right, who would be experiencing travel in a very different way. Um, okay, so um, speaking of that, right, um, you know, the differences between how it's been received in um, maybe Indonesia and, and, and abroad, um, uh, how has the wandering been received generally? Um, I guess um, I don't know if you want to talk about both, about the uh, Indonesian language version as well as the English language version and the differences um, in reception um, and maybe uh, how international readers have read it uh, differently from Indonesian readers. And um, yeah. Yeah, um, it's really interesting to talk about reception because it really makes me realize that, you know, an author might have... Um, you know, particular expectations, but eventually um, it's really about readership, right? Um, the reader plays an important role in making meaning of, of your work. Um, so I just, um, I think a few months ago, I was interviewed by uh, BFM Radio Malaysia uh, and the host, at the end of the interview, the host um um, talked about the novel so they did a, some sort of a, a mini review of the novel and then um, they said that reading the book um, uh, it felt like passing other passengers in an airport because okay because you go from um, uh, page 93 to page 161 and you are wondering what you miss along the way well, like what what happens in the other <laughs> Um, uh, storylines so and and for uh, the host uh, of the, uh, BFM Radio Malaysia um, it felt like um, seeing glimpses of lives not lived seeing glimpses of of uh, reality that's 
ongoing, but you have no control of that. And you are curious. So it's in a way that curiosity is also uh, part of the reading experience. Um, so it's really interesting to, to see um, how how people respond to the book. So some people say that there are, there are glimpses of lives not lived. Some others um, actually question their baggage when they make choices. Um, so one of the reviews, um, I think it's by Lara Nogard, and she talks about her experience reading the book as a white woman. And she said, oh, maybe as, as someone coming from a, a developed country and I'm used to com comfortable life. So um, it, it somehow makes me um, choose comfortable uh, um, or make comfortable decisions. So um, it's all about the comfort. And then because of that, I, I ended up in uh, in a place where you know I died, um, maybe I'm being punished because of uh, uh, my longing for uh, comfort zones. So it's it's really interesting how I actually didn't when I created all these options I didn't think about oh okay if you have this baggage then you should be punished no I, I mean it, it wasn't really um the point I, I I thought with sometimes I was aware of the, the choices um uh provided to the readers but sometimes not really so not everything um in the book um was uh uh, conscious I guess so so it's really interesting to see how people reflect on their choices in in different ways um, I guess it's the same thing uh, between Indonesian and um, and uh, non-indonesian readers uh, I, I guess the difference uh, was just well because the wandering um, came out this year so um, I guess we still need some time to see the whole arc of it. Um, but um, I, I guess Indonesian readers are, are very diligent. <laughs> you know, they make uh, all these nice maps and and um, they use uh, post, you know, colorful post-it notes and, I, and they sent me pictures and I thought, wow, <laughs> they are even more interesting than my own maps or than how I... Um, um, how I identify my own track, take notes of my own track. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess um, I guess the the different ways that people read the book um, really taught me how how uh, readers uh, for this kind of book readers need to be more active and um, the, the position of readers as active agents in this interactive novel contribute to the process of, of making meaning. Um, so that I guess that's the difference between The Wandering and Apple and Knife because um, Apple and Knife, um, well, it, also Apple and Knife is, um, is smaller in, in terms of volume. Um, it's intense and... Um, Due to the, uh, the the various genres that it uh, um, it referred to um, horror in particular, it's probably um, intense and and dramatic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Just visual that's, aid for everyone in the audience. Yeah, <laughs> that's the uh, the one published by Brow Books, the original um, Australian edition. I love the cover. Um, yeah, published in twenty. Um, 18. Yeah, that's, and so um, Apple and Knife, I don't know, Tiff, I guess Apple and Knife is just um, more intense and more visceral and and because they are, their stories are quite short, you can finish the book in one sitting, but I guess for the wandering, it, it can be quite demanding. Yeah, and it is interesting to think about how um, I don't know how readers respond also maybe based on how, uh, I don't want to say lazy, but you know, how, how, um, how willing they are to exercise or, or not, right? Yeah. Um, because the wandering is, is so interactive and requires, you know, um, like a sustained interest, um, but, you know, very rewarding because it results in multiple um, 
path that the reader takes. Yeah, um, interestingly, yeah. Like, um, so if um, so, the, I I also f- found that there are different types of readers. So if one reader feels that oh, I'm not happy with option one, so I just want. Uh, options that are, you know, that that fit me, so they keep reading. Uh, but then, if they, um, if uh, there are also readers who um, think that option one is is not good, and then they stop reading completely. So yeah, I learned. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, no, no, no. Perfectly okay. But what? Isn't that the point? You're supposed to go find a different option? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> or, I don't know. Okay, anyway, yeah, sorry. Not to be judgmental for people who did that. Um, oh, okay, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so um, I guess maybe um, now moving um, moving on and maybe, um, you know, if, if there's some time later, we can circle back um, to your fiction. But, you know, um, in Dan, you do so much interesting work in, in so many different areas. You're um, also a scholar. You're also very activist, um, you know, uh, uh, very active on the feminist scene um, in uh, Indonesia. And I was just, um, um, and most recently, right, um, you, you're um, also involved right now in a very exciting international literary project. Um, you're the curator and the editor of a chapbook um, of Indonesian women poets uh, and um the English title is uh, Deviant Disciples, or I guess that's, yeah, uh, due to be published soon as part of um, Tilted Axis um, Press's um, Translating Feminist chat, tra- Translating Feminism's chapbook series uh, in the UK. Uh, could you speak a little bit more about the project, um, yeah. just for people who aren't familiar with it? Um, um, yeah, sure. So, um, the idea... Um, came to me last year actually yeah last year before the coronavirus um so deborah smith from tilted access press um contacted me and asked if i wanted to be involved in uh the translating feminisms part two because they already did part one um translating from different languages from uh, korean korean um tamil and other languages and then part two would be indonesia and the philippines and now they have um tibet uh, as well so um so she asked if i could um uh, curate a selection of poems by Indonesian women writers and I said oh yeah absolutely I want I want to be involved in this project because it's it's great um, because I want I want more uh, um, women's voices from Indonesia to be heard um, because they um, they would create an intervention in how people imagine global feminisms, right? Because feminism in different countries has um, um, its own specific um, uh, uh, circumstances, specific responses and uh, specific forms. Um, So we need to learn as much as we can about uh, all these different articulations of feminism. So I said, yeah. Um, And I gathered a team, including you, Tiff. So uh, there are three translators here. um, um, Tiffany Sao, Eliza Fitri Handayani, who um, has this wonderful project, um, Intersastra, uh, where um, they uh, basically uh, display translations of of, um, Indonesian poems and stories by marginal um, authors, um, marginal in terms of probably class and and gender. And and Tiff, you're also the, the editor of the guest editor and curator of, of this project. Uh, and that's really fantastic. So I thought, oh, I wanted to work with Tiff and and Eliza, and I wanted to work with Norman Erickson Pasaribu as well, because I know that Norman uh, uh, has translated and, and promoted uh, some poems. Uh, Norman also worked with, um, with you, Tiff, um, in I think oh it's for Ubud writers right it's it's yeah, it was a joint initiative yeah 
Yes, it's a joint initiative between Asymptote and Ubud Writers uh, and Readers Festival. Um, basically, it's a showcase of several uh, uh, poems and stories from Indonesia, and, and that's really wonderful. So, yeah, there, there's a team there, um, and I, um, I picked five uh, women poets who I really like um, because of their... I guess, badass feminist um, themes in their poems. Um, obviously, I picked Ibu Tuti Herati. Um, this is her book, Chalon Arang. Um, yeah, we also have one uh, one poem from, from the book, um, and Tiffany um, translated that. Um, and also other feminist poets, uh, Dorothea Rosa Herliani and Sinta Febriani, Hannah Francisca and Zubaida Johar, they all bring their own different perspectives on uh, feminist resistance um, uh, in Indonesia. So yeah, it's been a, a, a great experience. I think I hope it's a great experience for you too, as someone involved in this project. Yeah, um, yeah. Just for the audience, you know, it's, um, I did I did secretly know a bit, I mean, about the project before I asked Intan that question. Um, but when Intan uh, asked me to if I could translate for the be one of the translators on the project, um, I was very excited. Um, yeah, and do you, do you know when it's coming out? Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot to mention that it's coming out actually end of this year. So yeah, so very soon. Yeah, so if anyone is interested, um, I think you can visit uh, Tilted Access um, Press's website, mm-hmm. and then they'll have information on how you can um, order the the chapbook bundle, and they do international shipping. So um, mm-hmm. yes, definitely. Um, a must. But um, yeah, just to ask you a little further about um, the project and, and your hopes for it. Um, you know, it seems like books like this, this um, are so necessary, um, you know, uh, given the state of the global uh, literary market right now, which is, um, you know, dominated according, according to sales figures, right? Dominated by English language books. Um, and, you know, um, in, a, in a literary market also where the top 10 most marketable languages besides English like for translated literature are all European and Japanese, right? Um, so, you know, um, Indonesia is, is not um, in there at all, I guess. So what are your thoughts as an Indonesian writer and editor on the literary in translation, literature in translation scene about the current situation? And um, in your mind, what are the drawbacks of having global literary interests spread so unevenly between um, countries and languages? Um, yeah, I think um, a lot of, um, so yeah, definitely, I think that the statistics are true. Um, so yeah, only three books uh, of uh, so three th- percent of of books in the in the um, English language market are books in translation, and there there's less for women women writers women in translation. So I guess as a woman in translation coming from a country. Um, uh, writing in Indonesian language, a language that's not really in the global map, that's not really um, important, I guess. Um, I, I, I think it um, it's quite discouraging. Um, but, you know, we just need to to persist, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, so I, I noticed that um, a lot of attention were given to, uh, in addition to European literature, also to uh, countries with strong, I would say, um, um, global or foreign policy um, with strong investment in literature as well. Like, uh, I mean, Japanese, the Cool Japan campaign took place in, I don't know, um, late 90s, the whole promotion to culture, it all started um, uh, decades ago and and South Korea followed. Um, So, I guess the, the idea that Japan is cool and, and now Korea is cool, um, it's really supported by by the government as well. So it's not just the the 
the recipient culture, but also the, the culture where uh, the works are produced. So I feel that, um, you know, writers from countries such as, well, Southeast Asia, like Indonesia or, or Thailand, for instance, um, I feel that there's, there's, we need an extra push to introduce works from these countries. Um, because really, um, so for instance, Duan Wat Pimwana from, from Thailand, I think she's, she, she was the first Thai uh, uh, woman feminist author uh, being translated, or at least, you know, who has a, a work translated and circulated globally. Um, maybe not the, the first one being translated into English, but definitely um, the one who... Um, uh, whose work circulated um, um, globally in the US, in Australia, in the UK as well. Um, and I think she has a really unique idea about feminism and, and also about class issue based on the uh, social reality in, in Thailand. And I think Indonesia has um, um, stories to tell too. So why not um, try to listen to more di diverse stories because all these stories matter, right? So I guess it's really about um, um, all of us uh, trying to open ourselves to stories that matter, trying to ask ourselves um, which stories do we hear and which um, which are being excluded or, or which stories that we do not hear because they're just not circulating. Um, so that's why I, I really like the idea of, um, you know, some small initiatives who really try to, um, uh, to promote literature in translation. In Indonesia, for instance, there's Intersastra. Um, and you, I think you also uh, did... Uh, this work independently, you work with um, uh, publishers abroad, with Tilted Access Press, um, and uh, I guess uh, it's it's really about all these um, uh, cooperation, collaboration between small independent um, publishers' initiatives. Uh, because right now we don't have, in Indonesia, um, we don't have the funding for translation anymore, at least for now. I don't know if this will continue, um, the funding will continue in the future, but now um, the funding has stopped. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so related, I guess, a little bit to um, what you said about um, the stories and, you know, who a diversity of stories, getting diversity um, and, and representation in, in the stories that we read, um, in the poems that we read um, worldwide. And, you know, um, just thinking about that in terms of literary festivals, too, as well, right? Because literary festivals, especially now, right, they've become so international. Um, and UERF, um, or um, the Ubud Readers, Writers and Readers Festival, is, is um, a festival uh, like that. And, it, you know, it has to sort of um, tread this fine line between, you know, um, or I guess not tread a fine line, but, you know, there's always been negotiation between um, Indonesian content, Balinese content, um, because it's based in Ubud Bali, and then also um, it's uh, the foreign content that it features as well. Um, yeah, so just what are your thoughts on um, Ubud Writers and Readers Festival um, maybe this year? Because, you know, you've um, had experience with it before, and you launched uh, the Bayangan um, um, Ubud as well before. Yeah, um, I was um, at Ubud Writers and Readers Festival in 2017, um, and I guess this is the second time that I got involved. So I guess there's a change of perspective there. Um, I must say, to be honest, I was uh, skeptical about uh, Ubud writers in the past uh, because I felt that there was a little bit too much emphasis on celebrity authors and on celebrities and in the Indonesian authors invited tended to be the same authors each year and they're uh, sort of privileged Jakarta authors and I wanted to see more diverse voices. But I think this year I see uh, positive changes. Um, we have um, 
I mean, I, I looked at the uh, the program and there are more Balinese writers and artists involved. Um, I'm excited about uh, painter uh, Manku Muriarti and also uh, Balinese women writers such as Okarusmini, um, uh, Friska Aswarini and also Kadet Sonia Piskayanti. Um, and this year, I think I, I really want to highlight this. This year, there are some bold um, political feminist figures. There's Muslim feminist comedian Sadia Ma'aruf, uh, journalist Fabriana Firdaus, who focuses on social justice, uh, women and indigenous communities, um, and scholar Laila Fitria, who focuses on uh, decolonial feminist theologies. And these women have really started to change the terms of conversations in the public sphere. I think they should be the highlights of this festival this year and not Nicolas Saputra. Um, I mean, no offense, but we, I mean, we all love Nicolas, um, but these women are really red and I'm, I'm glad that they are here this year in this festival, they are really at the forefront of social and political changes. So, well, yeah, so I guess um, we've started to see some changes uh, in Ubud writers. Uh, there are gradual changes, but but uh, good. Um, because, I mean, if we look at the landscape in Indonesia, the festival landscape, some institutions are quite hard to change. I mean, we do have... Um, the very political Makassar International Writers Festival. They are pro-local um, community, they're pro-environment and they're feminist. But some other fest local festivals in Indonesia, um, they would still feature all-male panels. And, and this is disappointing. So any changes toward um, diversity and social justice, uh, uh, I think any changes should be noted. Great. Um, yeah, and that, that's a good segue actually into um, my next question, which is, you know, um, uh, has to do with the Indonesian literary landscape um, as a whole. So um, how would you describe it as it currently stands um, from a feminist, from your perspective as a um, fem feminist scholar and um, activist? Yeah. Mm. Um, in general, Indonesian uh, literary landscape is um, is still... Um, quite patriarchal. Um, so um, there are other problems as well. For instance, there's the centrality of power. So Jakarta and maybe Jogja, um, they remain the centers that decide which should be, uh, which l literature is valuable and which is not even um, discussed. Um, so, and and we need to to sort of decenter um, uh, literature. Um, uh, we need to uh, look at what happens in Eastern Indonesia, but not from the Jakarta perspective, but, you know, um, more power to, to the people in, in these regions, in Nusa Tenggara, in uh, Sulawesi, um, they should be like the decision makers. But the, the main problem that we have right now is the, uh, probably you've heard about this, um, Badan Bahasa, uh, which is the... In, um, um, I guess Indonesia's official organization, they, they uh, give awards, they fund uh, literary projects. Um, so they just announced a literary award um, uh, for 2020. And then the whole nominees were, uh, those who can be considered as nominees were published between 2015 um, and 2020, so five years. And then um, the nominees for uh, fiction, poem, poetry, uh, uh, literary criticism, they're all men between 2015 and 2020, which is bizarre. Um, and that really, and, and then the people who are pro, uh, people who support this award, um, don't really see that there's a problem there. 
uh, they think that it's something normal because we look at the quality. We don't look at whether the work is written by a man or a woman, uh, 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 trans men, trans woman. Everything is the same. It's all about quality. But that's really interesting. Uh, so that means there's no single woman author worth it for this uh, award um, for five years, right? Um, so this is really disappointing, and I think a lot of people have criticized this. Um, and I think it's also important not not to you know uh, to, to criticize um, not not to criticize uh, per se, uh, uh, but to actually create something to create a counterculture or. Um, um, to invest in initiatives that would eventually um, dismantle the power. So I guess I'm happy to know that women are really the... Um, I mean, they are really on the forefront of, of uh, resistance. There's, um, I mentioned Makassar Writers Festival, which is very feminist. There's also um, uh, Ruang Perempuan dan Tulisan. This is a group of women who who would um, read works from the, um, uh, the women authors forgotten in literary history. And there are so many of them. They're not even... <laughs> You couldn't even find their names in history books. Um, so it's more about you know, questioning historiography. There's also, um, I mean, uh, Intersastra, uh, right? Because Intersastra promotes the translation of uh, works by women, by um, LGBTIQ um, writers, uh, by working class writers. So this is really great. And I... Um, I am also involved in um, what we call sekolah pemikiran perempuan. Like, uh, like uh, we promote uh, women as um, thinkers, as we promote women's knowledge, basically. So we just created a festival last in July, and it the festival featured all uh, women speakers um, in literature um, uh, uh, performance in different. Uh, fields um, and basically um, just resist the idea that women are not valid producers of knowledge. And in the, within the larger map, the global map, um, that idea is, I, I, I think, um, you know, being a third world woman is like double, like experiencing double oppression. So you are not only third world, which means like you have to be, you, you are being excluded by the by knowledge, the uh, Western knowledge, and you are also being excluded by the knowledge in your own country, and which is predominantly produced by men. So I'm quite happy with what we're doing. It's really far from perfect, and we haven't really achieved our goals, I guess. But yeah, the efforts are there. Mm, very nice. Um, and uh, maybe to... Um yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I guess what. Um, yeah. No. No. Um, yeah. Just very cool to hear about. You know, all of the feminist interventions mm -hmm. that are being made on. This and you are part of it too, right? I know. It's it's exciting. Sometimes I'm like, oh, it's exciting. Maybe we can change things. Maybe. Hopefully. Um, yes. Be optimistic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So our. Uh, I guess um, one final question, um, and this question actually, um, uh, so uh, to give people a bit of background. So um, right before this, um, Intan was promoting um, this session, this recorded session on uh, her Instagram um, uh, stories and, and invited um, people to uh, come up with a question and she would um, pick one. So we have a question from the audience here, um, even though we don't have an actual audience. Well, I mean, we do, but, you know, we're recording this and then it's going to be aired later. But um, so we have a question from uh, someone who goes by Kutukus Sastra on um, Instagram. And she's asked Intan to recommend some books on uh, about feminism. Um, so what are your best picks, I guess? Yeah. I, th I think it's a he or or the, I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but okay, yeah, hey, uh, hey, okay. yeah. So <laughs> I have yeah, dear neutral. Uh, I have um, some books with me. Um, I think these are just um, um, a 
a few books that I grabbed you know, before before we this session. Um, so the first one is um, sorry, Sister Outsider uh, by Audrey Lord. Um, I really like this book um, because it, it really um, dismantles this whole idea of feminism. Um, because her point is really questioning what is feminism? Um, is feminism, uh, you know, just a, a bunch of white women um, wanting liberation? What about women of color? What about women who, like, if you go to a feminist conference, who are the women uh, um, taking care of your child, who who are cleaning your house? So she asks this kind of questions that uh, basically allow us to be critical of the universal universalizing ideas of feminism. Um, and she does that from... Well, back then when she wrote that, uh, um, I don't think the word intersectional ex- has existed, but that's what she she did. Like it's in the in the 1980, uh, I think it's 1984. And then after that, uh, there's the whole uh, intersectional feminist uh, movement, uh, starting with Kimberly, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's essay. Uh, but it really um, dismantles this whole idea of um, uh, feminism, that feminism is not singular, it's, it's really plural and it can, and there can be contradictions, uh, and contestations within feminism. So that's great. And then here, um, Borderlands La Frontera by Gloria Anzadua. I really love this. Uh, it talks about her, like it, it's a mix, maybe you've read this too, too. It's a mix of autobiography and, um, and essays and poems. It's very hybrid. Um, it talks about her position as a third world woman um, growing up in the border between Mexico and uh, United States and really feel that clash between uh, cultures and the, the, the violence there um, um, happening to people of color. And at the same time, it's just so beautifully written so I would encourage anyone to read this um this is a classic um I mean I uh, the handmaid's tale uh I have other books by Edward but I think this is the one that's uh most familiar to readers um yeah I I you know each time I because I'm a big fan of Edward, each time I am stuck uh in my writing I would go back and pick up one of her novels. Um, and then the last one, of course, Talon Arang uh, by Tuti Herati. Um, uh, and here she actually, um, okay, Talon Arang, for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, it's a story about a Balinese witch um, and she uh, destroys the whole village basically because she is unhappy uh, because no one would want to marry her daughter and then and this is actually a story about the anxiety of the society of a powerful woman and because this woman is just so smart and she's so powerful and she organizes her uh students all female students she has become a threat to the kingdom to the king and to the priest so she needs to be destroyed so it's it's a story of anxiety of of a powerful woman and i, and I think tuti herati uh reappropriates and re um um uh uh, sort of reframes the story in a in a feminist way, and yeah, I really, I I think it's one of the uh, books that influenced me. Yeah, so that those are my recommendations. Oh yay! Okay. Um, well, I think uh, we we have to come to a close. I saw a comment bubble saying that we had ten minutes left, but that was like a few minutes ago. But this has been a really interesting session. Um, so yeah. thank you, Inan. Thank you for, so much, um, too. Yeah, for conversing. It's so funny because now I'm thinking we live in, we actually are both doing this from Sydney. So we probably could have just gone to like one room and then like, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, but but here we are. Um, and thank you, um, UERF, for having us here. Um, I would like to 
issue a formal closing statement. Kembali 20 was made possible with the support of the Yayasan Mudra Swari Saraswati Patron Program and their donors. The patron program was created to seek assistance for the survival of both festivals and the foundation. By making a valuable contribution to the Yayasan patron program, you will be directly involved in delivering festivals in due time. Your contribution will guarantee the future of a most meaningful cross-cultural platform of words, ideas, culture, and the creative arts. Uh, follow at Ubud Writers Festival on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit ubudwritersfestival.com for more information about the patron program. Um, yeah, I think that's it for today. Um, thank you so much, everyone, and thank you again, Intan. Um, have a good rest of the day. Terima kasih semuanya. Bye. Bye.